Now, <clears throat> having considered several blessings that wisdom produces, we now turn to one more. If you recall, we previously said that uh, wisdom brings life, it brings peace, brings favor with God and man, it brings righteousness, it brings healing, and it brings prosperity. All these blessings accompany wisdom, and yet there is one more. Now, this blessing in particular is a unlikely one. It's one that we don't often think of as a blessing. This blessing is the discipline of the Lord. Now you say discipline, a blessing? I can see how all of the other things that we've mentioned so far are a blessing, but discipline, really? I say to you, yes. Discipline from the hand of a loving father is truly a blessing. Now to understand how discipline is of great benefit to the wise son, we will examine our text under the following three headings. Uh, first, accept discipline. Second, understand the source. And third, model it as men. So again, accept discipline, understand the source, and model it as men. Solomon writes, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Now, you may recall back in the beginning of our study that I stated that the book of Proverbs uses a form of Hebrew poetry known as parallelism. And if you recall, parallelism seeks to arrange similar or opposing thoughts in successive lines. In particularly, we find an example of synonymous parallelism. Now, synonymous parallelism takes the idea of the first line and restates it in another way. So though the words are different, the idea is essentially the same. And so to reject the discipline of the Lord is saying the same thing as loathing his reproof. Now that being said, though the same idea is generally communicated, it is communicated from a slightly different angle. Again, the first phrase states, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. In the first place, the Hebrew word translated as reject doesn't just simply mean a refusal of something, but it carries with it the idea of despising something. It's rejection based upon pride. The image is of a man who says, no, God. I won't accept this. I don't care what you say. I will not submit. And what is it that they will not submit to? It is the discipline of the Lord. Now, this word discipline, again, means correction. And correction can be both 
corporal or it can be verbal. We see, for instance, that the word discipline is translated as instruction in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. Again, if you recall in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon is speaking about the purpose of the book of Proverbs. And he says again, concerning its purpose, is that it is to know wisdom and instruction, there's our word for discipline, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction, there's our word again for discipline, in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, as I also stated, discipline can also be corporal. In other words, discipline can take the form of physical affliction. Now, we see this clearly from passages such as Proverbs 22, verses 15, and Proverbs 23, verses 13. In Proverbs 22, 15, we read, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. While over in Proverbs 23, verse 13, it states, Do not hold back discipline from the child, Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. And so the physical affliction spoken of in Proverbs 23:13 is a spanking. And the proper use of the rod, according to Solomon, will drive out the foolishness that is bound up in your child's heart. Likewise, when God saves us, there is still foolishness that remains in the heart of his children. And if you are wise, you will acknowledge this. Brethren, I tell you that even as an elder, I can sometimes say things or act in a manner that can be considered foolish. And I'm not simply talking about making jokes I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about falling short of the glory of God and missing the mark. Now, God, as our Father, like an earthly father, also brings about affliction in order to drive out foolishness and sin. In some instances, the affliction comes because we are, in fact, in sin. Remember last week we read of David and how he was disciplined for that grievous sin committed with Bathsheba. And though his sin was forgiven, there were still consequences. Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 to 12, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Now, 
What was David's response to the discipline of the Lord? Did he rebel and say with Cain that this consequence is too much for me to bear? Did he say that this was unfair? No. Like a wise son, David accepted God's discipline and repented. Continuing in verse 13, we read, we read, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Now, from this passage, we learn that David received mercy even in the midst of discipline. He did not die. And though the consequences of his sin, listen to this, would follow him for the rest of his life, David was thankful. David would later write in Psalm 32, verse 1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David repented and was granted forgiveness. And it was enough. Forgiveness was enough. You know, Sometimes we think that that is not enough. Sometimes we think that God is also obligated to take away the consequences of our sin as well. And sometimes he does. But even if he does not, forgiveness is enough. So brethren, when you are disciplined by the hand of God because of sin... Accept his discipline as a wise son and repent. Have a heart like David instead of Cain. As one writer notes, the rod is now meekly, yea, thankfully born, because it is in the hand of one supreme in wisdom as in love, who knows the time, the measure, and the effectual working of his own discipline. The child compares his affliction with his sin and marvels not that it is so heavy, but that it is so light. He knows that he more than deserves, that he needs it all. O oh God, I have made an ill use of thy mercies if I have not learned to be content with thy correction. Now, we know that the discipline of God comes upon his children who are living in sin. But do you also know that God brings affliction not because we have been bad, but because he wants to make us better? Now the illustration of physical exercise comes to mind. If you're looking to get into shape, and be healthy, then you need to eat right and exercise. You need to have discipline, right? And exercise done right doesn't always feel good 
whilst you're doing it. There's often some degree of pain and soreness, but the end result is better health. Our bodies are stronger and able to endure much more. Likewise, spiritually speaking, we need some degree of discomfort and pain in order to be more sanctified. We need trials in order to build up our spiritual endurance and strength. Again, as one commentator writes on the verse, the thought of the book of Job is here fully incorporated and assimilated. Griefs and pains are not tokens of anger, nor punishments of sin, but love gifts meant to help to the acquisition of wisdom. They do not come because the sufferers are wicked, but in order to make them good or better. And so again, I say to you, do not reject discipline since it is for your good. Now, going back to Proverbs 3, as mentioned earlier, there's another way that we can respond to God's discipline that's sinful. One man may respond to discipline with pride, while another responds in utter defeat. Proverbs 3, verse 11, again states, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof. Now, this word loathe here carries with it the idea of grief. And so, it's translated as follows in the KJV. The text says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. You see, while some respond in anger and pride, others simply faint under the trials. They lose heart. They collapse under the weight of the affliction, and they lose sight of who it is that brought the trial in the first place. They act as orphans instead of crying out to their heavenly father. And this and in this way, they also reject the correction of the Lord. Discipline does not lead to repentance, nor does it sanctify. Instead, it leads to bitterness and despair. They act as if God has abandoned them, and as if he does not love them, when in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. For it is because of his love for them that trials come. Now this truth leads us to point number two, which is understand the source. Understand the source. The discipline of God's children comes not from a stranger or an enemy, but from a loving father. Solomon again writes, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Listen, God's love is the total package. right? He showers us with many blessings, but he knows that that is not enough. He knows our frame. 
He knows that we are weak, that we are prone to wander, that we are prone to leave the God that we love. And so he strengthens us with discipline. He places us in the furnace of affliction for his glory and for our good. He does this not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Again, as the old writer Charles Bridges notes, he would make thee partake of his holiness that thou mightest partake of his happiness. So that I and God in it, we see it to be love, not wrath, receiving, not casting out. We are thus better with it than without it. Nay, we could not be without it for our soul's salvation. Faith understands the reasons of the discipline, acknowledges it as part of his gracious providence and the provision of his everlasting covenant, waits to see the end of the Lord, and meanwhile draws its main support from the seal of adoption. He corrects whom he loves, and because he loves the son in whom he delighteth. He rejoiceth over his child to to do him good. And as a wise and affectionate father, he would not suffer him to be ruined for want of correction. Again, brethren, in your affliction, sin and the devil himself will try to tempt you to doubt God's goodness and love for you. But brethren, I want to remind you once more of the love of the father for his children. And if you have been doubting God's love for you because of an affliction, I want you to hear God's word once more. Remember, discipline is not only corporal, but it is also instruction. So hear again the word of God concerning his love for his children. First, God's love is eternal. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Second, God's love for his children is unconditional. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 8. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And third, God's love is inseparable. This is Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, there is a lot more that I can say about the love of God for his children. But to summarize, God's love has our highest good in view. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he is working all things together for your good? Listen, when I say all things, I literally mean all things. Every situation in your life, he is working together for your good. That means your sickness, your loss, your pain, your struggles, your shame, your hurt, your abandonment, your spouse, your job, your children, even your very own death. He is working together for your good. The Bible again says in Romans 8:28, and we know, right? These are words of certainty. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What, after all of that, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Again, there are so many blessings that accompany wisdom. Life, peace, favor, righteousness, health, prosperity. But one of the greatest blessings is to be disciplined by the hand of a loving father. So let us patiently accept our loving father's discipline, knowing that it is for our good and for his glory. Well, going back to our main text, there is one more point that I wish to make this morning. Solomon uses an argument from the greater to the lesser. He says that the heavenly father reproves the son in whom he loves, even as earthly fathers do the same. Now, providentially, in the absence of Pastor Greg this morning, 
the chastisement of the men at Grace Fellowship Church will continue. You see, you thought that you were going to catch a break because he's not here, but providentially, the text this morning leads us to this conclusion. Solomon again writes in Proverbs 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Now Solomon writes as if it is universally understood and even assume that fathers who love their children will in fact discipline them. Unfortunately, through the onslaught of modern psychology, many have moved away from the discipline model, even in Christian circles. The experts tell us today that corporal punishment is ineffective and even harmful. They say things like, it will damage their mental health. Now, who wants to damage their child's mental health, right? And so, today, it is not assumed that discipline is loving. What's viewed as loving today is giving children all that they want and building up their self-esteem. They should never be sad, nor should they suffer any hardship. And in the final analysis, we never ask the question, what does God say about this? You see, As believers, when it comes to this area in particular, we must return to a previous admonition by Solomon in Proverbs 3. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, again it states, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Parents, do you lean on your own understanding? or the collective understanding of mere men in this area? If you do, then you need to return to God's word and believe what it says. Fathers, in particular, acknowledge God's wisdom when it comes to this matter and model it as a man. This leads us now to our final point. Now, the author of Hebrews actually provides further exposition of this text in Proverbs. The author states in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so the author of Hebrews again says that discipline is a mark of relationship. It is proof that a son belongs to a father. And so to withhold discipline as a father is to treat your children as if they are fatherless. Worse yet, the Bible says that to withhold the rod is an act of hatred, not of love. Proverbs 13, 24 states, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And so, I ask you men, do you hate your children? Before you answer that question, let me put it to you differently. Who is primarily responsible for the discipline of your children in the home? And are you the type of father who tends to give their children whatever they want? You say, I know mommy said this, but it's okay to go ahead and and disobey mommy. After all, she's the bad cop and, and I'm the good cop. Men, if this is how you think, then you need to have your mind renewed by the Spirit and the Word of God in this area. For if you truly love your children and you desire their respect and love in return, then you will discipline them, and you will discipline them diligently. Now, diligent discipline is not motivated by anger, but by love. It is a love that says that I desire the ultimate good for my child, even if it means for a little while that they must suffer some discomfort. And so, remind both yourself and your child of this truth. Say it out loud so that they know it. I often say to my children when the occasion calls for it that I'm disciplining them because I love you and the word of God instructs me to do so. Now, that's not to say that it's always easy or that our children will always believe that it is indeed for their good especially in that moment. Sometimes all they can see are the consequences and things become very hard. Sometimes we ourselves miss the mark and discipline out of anger. And in those times, we need to take ourselves out of the equation and look at the, at the offense as ultimately being 
against God. We need to humble ourselves and repent, lest by our wrath we end up provoking our children to wrath. Now this touches on another unbiblical extreme in regards to discipline. As men, we may think that diligent discipline means that we discipline for everything. But there are some things that don't warrant discipline. Your child spills something or breaks something, and depending on the prior instruction that was given, it may not warrant discipline. Sometimes we need to check our own hearts or our own motives when it comes to discipline. We need to ask ourselves the question, have I set up an idol of respect or submission to authority in my heart? To put it another way, how do I respond when my children fail to respect or to submit to my authority? Do I respond then in return with anger. Again, in a book entitled Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp writes, the unbiblical concept of the rod is not the right to unbridled temper. Nowhere does God give parents the right to throw temper fits at their children. Such rage is ungodly and wicked. Again, if this is how you discipline your children, then you need to repent, for this is not discipline, but abuse. And so we can practice the right thing in the wrong way. This too is sin. This too falls short, for we must practice the right thing in the right way. Ted Tripp again writes, The rod is apparent in faith toward God and faithfulness toward his or her children, undertaking the responsibility of careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment to underscore the importance of obeying God thus rescuing the child from continuing in foolishness until death. Again, does this describe how you use the rod in your home? Men, ask your wives, is my use of the rod careful, timely, measured, and controlled? If it is not, then you must repent. For how we discipline our children as believers should reflect God's discipline of his children. As believers, there are consequences for sin, but God doesn't treat us with wrath. We do not receive the wrath that our sins deserve. How then can we turn around 
and unleash our fury on those we claim to love. These things ought not to be so. Well, finally, brethren, not only should we model God's discipline in how we give it, but also in how we receive it. We ourselves are both fathers and children. We are children of the Heavenly Father. We too must remember Solomon's admission, admonition in the midst of trials. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. In closing, I believe it was um, Pastor Sean, during his teaching in, in Job, he made reference to the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. I want to remind you of those words once more. Now, in one of the verses, again, that we do not sing, the words go like this. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. And then in, a, in the verse that we do often sing, it, it, it continues, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy goal to refine. This is a beautiful reminder of what's taking place in the backdrop of our trials. The rod of discipline is connected to the hand of a loving father. And God uses these trials for our good and for his glory. Always, always, always remember that God's discipline is for our good and for his glory. And that's whether we are walking in sin or we are walking in obedience. And should you find yourself going through a season of life where God's disciplining hand is upon you, remember Solomon's command. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Why? For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as I have previously said, thank you again for your word that instructs and reproves and corrects and trains in righteousness. I pray that you would accomplish all these things this morning. And Lord, I pray again for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, for in fact, all of the blessings 
that we have read in the book of Proverbs only apply to those who are indeed children of God, those who have come to you in faith and repentance. The blessings of wisdom do not apply to everyone. And Lord, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice, if they find themselves living in foolishness, indeed living the life of the fool, that they would indeed repent, that they would turn to you for salvation, the only one in whom there is salvation. Lord, I pray this day that you would once more be pleased to save, be pleased to draw some who may yet still be walking in darkness into your marvelous light. And we pray, Lord, for our own souls as believers that we might continuously remind ourselves of what you have said, that you discipline those whom you love. And so our response is to accept it, to bear it, to learn from it, to be sanctified by it, to repent if there is sin in our lives, and to be strengthened by the trials and afflictions that come our way. And again, all these things are for our good and for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.